Hello, and welcome back to JG Ministries Bible Study, where we study God's Word. I'm Jeffrey, minister and chaplain with JG Ministries. So glad to have you joining us today. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and receive notifications every time there's a new podcast. We are studying in the book of Luke and about to finish chapter 2, and then we'll start unpacking chapter 3. Now, so far, we've learned of the birth of John the Baptist and, of course, of Jesus. We learned about the circumcision and dedication of our Lord and Savior, and we get a very small glimpse of Jesus as a boy. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to chapter 2, begin with verse 45, and let's get started. Now, last time, we read about how Jesus was 12 years old, and him and his mother, Mary, and Joseph had been to Jerusalem for the Passover. The Passover's over, and now they're headed back home. However, Jesus decides to stay behind, and Mary and Joseph do not realize it right away that Jesus is not with him. So we're going to pick up with verse 45. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, seeking him. Now so it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be at my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Now in verses 45 to 47, I'm going to take a look at those three together. Or two, rather. After a day of travel, Mary and Joseph missed Jesus. They started wondering where he was at. And in the scriptures, it says three days. So they were gone one day, then another day would have been required for the trip back. And then on the following day, which would have been after three days, the successful search was made. So upon returning to Jerusalem, the distraught parents found Jesus in the temple sitting among the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. There is no suggestion of his acting as precocious child, disputing with his elders. Rather, he took the place of a normal child, learning in humility and the course of the proceedings. Now, he must have been asked some questions because the people were astonished at his understanding, and of his answers. The questions Jesus put to the teachers were probably not just merely boyish inquiries, but the kind of probing questions used in ancient academies back at that time and and in similar discussions with learned scholars. He also gave answers, some of which amazed the teachers. And in verse 38, or verse 48, Luke vividly describes the parents' emotions. Now, the first of which is astonishment and awe. Jesus' parents were amazed when they found Jesus participating, 
so intelligently in a discussion with those who were so many years older than Jesus was, and of course had spent so many years studying religion. Yet his mother expressed her accumulated anxiety and her irritation by reproving Jesus. Didn't he know that they had been worried about him? Now Mary's natural concern issues a very humanly hint of her scolding Jesus. Then she indicates their anxious pain as they hunted for him, because she says, your father and I. And Jesus says, my father's business, which is going to lead us right in to verses 49 and 50, because this is the Lord's answer. And this is his first recorded words. And they show that he was fully aware of his identity as the son of God and of his divine mission as well. Jesus asks, why did you seek me? And Jesus' answer of why were you searching for me pointedly prepares the hearer for a significant statement that is then understood as being theologically inevitable. The importance of Jesus' use of the phrase, my father, with it, with its implied designation of himself as the unique son of the father is heightened not only by the preceding question but by the subsequent statement of verse 50 which underlines the awesome mystery of Jesus's statement of his awareness of his sonship did you not know that I must be about my father's business now at the time they did not understand what he meant by his cryptic remark. It definitely was an unusual thing for a 12-year-old boy to say. Not every 12-year-old boy would have been saying something of that nature. So in verse 51, at any rate, they were reunited so that they could return to Nazareth. They'd go back home. The moral excellence of Jesus is seen in the words, he was subject to them. Though the creator of the universe, as he was, yet he took his place as an obedient child in his humble Jewish family. But all the time, his mother kept all these things in her heart. So here in verse 51, we see Luke hurries on to assure, to assure us also of Jesus' perfect humanity by noting his obedience to his parents. And once more, we find Mary reflecting inwardly on the significance of it all. So getting into verse 52, Jesus' growth was entirely normal. We have the true humanity and the normal growth of our Lord depicted here. Number one, his mental growth increased in wisdom. His growth in wisdom doesn't detract from his deity. For Jesus willingly gave up the full use of his divine powers. The second one is his physical growth and stature. And thirdly, his spiritual growth in favor with God. And fourthly, his social growth in favor with men. Now, he was absolutely perfect in every aspect of his growth. 
Here Luke's narrative skips silently over 18 years, which the Lord spent in Nazareth as the son of a carpenter. Now these years teach us the importance of preparation and training, the need for patience, and the value of common work. They warn against the temptation to jump from spiritual birth to public ministry. Those who do not have a normal spiritual childhood and adolescence will court disaster in their later life and in their testimony. And with that, we have finished chapter 2, and now we are ready to start chapter 3. I want to start reading just a few verses in chapter 3, and then we'll go back and we'll visit about them. Chapter 3 is going to begin... John the Baptist prepares the way for our Messiah, the preparation of the Son of Man to minister. So this is going to be the ministry of John the Baptist. And keep in mind, the preaching of John is told by all four Gospels, but Luke's account is the fullest. So turn with me to chapter 3, verse 1, and let's read a little bit. Verse 1, now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip tetrarch of Itura, and the region of Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Albaline. While Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance of the remission of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough ways smooth, and all the flesh shall see the salvation of God. And I'm going to stop there and start with talking about verses 1 and 2 together. As a historian, Luke identifies the year that John began to preach by naming the political and the religious leaders who were then at that time in power. So he names one emperor who is Caesar. He names one governor, who was Pontius Pilate, who governed over Judea. There were three with the title of Tetrarch, one of which was Herod Antipas, who was son of Herod the Great, who ruled Galilee and Perea, which was in 4 BC to 39 AD. And he mentions two high priests. The two high priests that he mentions are Caiaphas and Annas. The official high priest of Annas had ended in A.D. 15, but his influence was so great, especially during the priesthood of his son-in-law Caiaphas, that his name is naturally mentioned along with that of Caiaphas. That's why we have the mention of both of them. The dating provided was useful to Luke's first century readers to place the ministry of John. Now, since Luke was probably using the normal Roman method of reckoning, 
the date indicated would be from around August AD 28 to around August AD of 29. The political rulers mentioned imply the iron grip with which the nation of Israel was held in subjugation. The fact that there were two high priests in Israel indicate that the nation was in, dis in disorder religiously as well as politically. It was a mess. Though these were great men in the world's estimation, these men were wicked, they were unscrupulous in the eyes of God. Therefore, when God wanted to speak to men, he bypassed the palace and he bypassed the synagogue and he sent his message to John, the son of Zacharias, who, who was out in the wilderness. And some of your versions may have desert. Now in the text, we move from the secular world to the religious, and now we are ready for the introduction of the prophet of John. John is in the wilderness, or like I said, in the desert, depending on which version you're listening or reading from. It's a place that held memories for the Jews as the locale of the post-Exodus wanderings of Israel back in the Old Testament. Now Luke's interest is not only in the coming of John, but it's also in the message that he brings from God. Now this takes us into verse 3. Luke suggests that John had an itinerant ministry. Now what does that mean? Basically that means John traveled from place to place. John immediately traveled to all the region around the Jordan River, probably near Jericho. So apparently, he not only preached in the desert or out in the wilderness, but he followed the Dead Sea coast to the Jordan River and then a distance away from there. And there he called upon the nation of Israel to repent of its sins in order to receive forgiveness and thus be prepared for the for the coming of the Messiah, who is Christ. Now he also called upon the people to be baptized as an outward sign that they had truly repented, hence the name John the Baptist. Now John was a true prophet, an embodied conscience, and he was crying out against sin, and he called for spiritual renewal. So John's baptism was of repentance. That is, it required sorrow for sin and a moral change on the part of those being baptized. Now, repentance is an ancient prophetic theme. The result of the repentance shown in baptism was forgiveness. So quickly in verses 4 to 6, and then I'll stop there for today because we are starting to run out of time. But John's ministry was in fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5. And this is where Luke found a clear prophecy of the ministry of John the Baptist. And Luke includes more of the quotation than Matthew and Mark do. John was a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Spiritually speaking, Israel was a wilderness at this time. As a nation, it was arid and cheerless, bringing forth no fruit for God. 
In order to be ready for the coming of the Lord, the people had to undergo a moral change. And when a king was going to make a royal visit in those days, there was elaborate preparations made to smooth the highways and to make this king's approach as direct as possible. Now, this is what John calls upon the people to do, only it was not a matter of repairing uh, repairing literal roads, but of preparing their own hearts to receive Christ. And Luke cites the extraordinary way in which, on the analogy of preparations that were made for a royal visitor, even the seemingly immovable must be removed to make way for the Lord. Now, what needs removal is the sin of the people. And with that, I am going to stop for today. Next time, we'll continue with chapter 3, beginning with verse 5. So until next time, God bless you all, and keep living Christian strong.